0: everyone, and welcome to episode 10 of the Film Score Podcast. Today I'm talking with composer Reed Reimer. One of Reed's most recent projects, and the one that we talk about most, is called Codeburst, which is a multimedia cyberpunk project. The sound itself is quite synth-wavy, uh, synth-heavy, and there's also a uh, short story graphic novel element to it as well. It's a quite interesting project, and one that Reed and his composing partner, Ben Larson, hope to continue. And we also talk about his uh, metal, and particularly Gent project Cthulhu Dreamt, which is a concept album that recently released. This is an older interview of mine, recorded back in, I think, September of 2020, that has been on the back burner for a while, so I'm very happy to be able to finalize it and get it out the door. But because it's an older one, the sound isn't quite as cleaner neat as my more recent ones. It's still a great conversation. And this is an important one for me as well because Reed has uh, been quite helpful in, you know, my projects and in this podcast in particular. He's been a very early supporter and a constant supporter and so I'm very glad that I was able to talk with him and get this released. And of course you can find me at the FilmScore on Instagram and Twitter as well as my website, thefilmscore.com. And you can find Reed on various social media as well. So give his projects a listen, leave a uh, rating or review for this episode or this podcast, and let's get into it. I see you talking about making trap all the time. And I know in Codeburst, you do a lot of synth stuff, and we can talk about Codeburst later. Then you have some more kind of, I don't want to say traditional, because I think that minimizes or like maybe even belittles what it really is but kind of more traditional film scoring and then this project too so yeah. how do you juggle doing 15 <laughs> different genres at a time
1: it's it's really hard to juggle actually the the most difficult thing i did when juggling was when we were like finishing up code Burst, which like you said is synth based and it's a lot closer to like synth wave based i started another project which will be coming out in December, which is also synth-based, but it's a little more on the cinematic side versus like synthwave side. And I really wanted to make sure that those two voices were different. So when this project comes out, I hope you don't hear like code bursts in it, and I don't think you will, just because I made a conscious effort to just make sure that any theme, themic, or thematic material was, was different between the two. For stuff like trap and death metal and, like, symphonic-based material, it's a lot easier to keep those separate just because of the, you know, the sound world that they live in. Mm -hmm. Uh, Right. Even though you probably, you'll hear, like, reed flavors or, you know, like, maybe I overuse a theme like like Horner does his little uh, danger motif. Sometimes it's hard to keep it out, sometimes it's not. What I found with, like, this trap stuff is... I'm just lucky that I get to do kind of stuff that I love. And the projects that I'm working on, like this metal one and the trap one, they're really driven by me as opposed to being directed by somebody Mm. else. So it allows me the freedom to to do what I want. So if it starts getting mixed genre, it's okay because it's not for something other than me.
0: Ah, interesting. Being in the music world, you have all sorts of influences. Is, Is that how the very genre output came about?
1: Yeah. So it's funny because you and I met on Twitter and I've met basically everything I'm working on today. About 90% of it is because of the relationships I've made on Twitter or like some other social media, like the code verse came about because the artist who drew code verse, I met him on a random tweet. I appreciate all music. There are some that I like more than others. Synthwave was one of those ones where I didn't, Ever really listened to it before? And this person was gave me a bunch of things to listen to. And the next day, I was just like, I wonder if I could write a some simple track. And I sat down and wrote this track called We Bleed Ink in like a two-hour span. And mm-hmm. uh, we just started talking. And it was like, why don't we just why don't we do a project? And that's how Codeverse was kind of born. I got onto Twitter for the simple fact that I was like, I need some way besides Facebook to just reach out and get stuff out there because otherwise it's like just me listening to myself and the crazy thing is it's become less of a tool for marketing and more of a tool for networking the metal project that i'm working on was a dude that i met on twitter too
0: it's obviously working out well i don't know i I don't want to get stuck in the the genre too much but i i find it really interesting because so many people they have their couple genres or one genre and they stick to it If you were forced to, I mean, what would be, out of all of these, the the one genre you'd stay with?
1: Probably orchestral, for the simple fact that orchestral music is, to me, the one that has the most variety of emotion. I can feel emotion with any type of music, but I guess my proclivities go to having a full orchestra and all of these different instrument types where you can go from, you know, really brutal and harsh... And metallic, all the way down to like a very organic, earthy tones, or, or, you know, really sprightly. You know, Mm, it just kind of runs the gamut of all of these different feelings, I guess you could say.
0: And that that makes sense. And I think once you get into kind of more specific or niche genres, not to say that like a death metal can't elicit a a spectrum of emotions, but it's much better at certain emotions than others whereas yeah i I totally agree that something that's orchestral can really hit that array much stronger cool man and i know that i don't know if it's all your projects but a lot of your projects you've worked with ben larson how's the composition process go with two of you working on a project
1: you know it's uh it goes i I mean i like it i I like working with ben who i met at, at college he was in the theater arts program, but he's also a musician. So he was, you know, he could have double majored, but he didn't want to do like the four years of an instrument. So he didn't. But uh, yeah, we met in theory class and just like kind of hit it off and started our career together by writing a one-act zombie opera. Get, <laughs> and uh, and from there, it's like when we collaborate on projects, it's really nice because we both have different instincts of how we would approach things. It's not often that we write a piece at the piano together what happens more so for our workflow is like we'll each write our stuff and then we'll each edit each other's stuff and make suggestions mm. and a lot of times we'll take passes through each other's stuff and maybe add some instrumentation or orchestration that that we hear that the other guy didn't or whatever so it almost changes it to become like a Ben and read thing versus just like a single like, what we would output by ourselves.
0: Interesting. You know, I, I know that I think you guys did uh, at least Codeburst during COVID. I mean, how has that affected the co-composition process?
1: We, we, we do a lot more remotely because before we might have, like, two sessions a week where we do go over to each other's studio and, you know, we'll go through stuff together and, and make notes together. But now it's been, for Codeburst, it was, like, listen through it, and then make notes and just kind of send that back and forth. Technology is just so easy to do that now with all the file sharing. The difficulty comes where I might have plugins that he doesn't. It, it, sometimes it just starts out like very rudimentary with piano or something and then orchestrate from there with our different uh, plugins.
0: For me, having heard the soundtrack, I don't notice any quality issues stemming from the remote composition, so <laughs> it's, it's, it's clearly working out.
1: Everything ends up in one machine and like goes through a mix master with one machine. So that, that kind of
0: keeps it homogenous. We've been talking about Code Burst a lot, kind of tangentially. That was actually, I think our first contact was you sort of pitching me the project that it's this (laughs) part comic graphic novel, part concept soundtrack. And I thought it was just, it was really interesting. And it was something that I hadn't really heard before. What was the genesis for that idea?
1: The bottom line was based on the value of music, which is almost nil. As a, as a composer, you know, I do projects where when I do them and I get a paycheck, that's, you know, that's a job. I see all these musicians, and, and I myself am one, because it's not, not every project I release is for a job. So it's like, how do I get people to listen? How do I get them to give me money to turn releases into a job to be a, essentially a band, you know? The problem with streaming services, which as a consumer I love, as a producer I loathe, is that you, you make no money. Uh, unless you're like streaming a million songs a month, you, you can't live on that. And so Ben and I talked about that as like, well, we love telling stories. How do we tell a story that includes, how do we create an album of music that we sell you know, how do we add value to that to make somebody want to buy it? And uh, people still pay for books, people still pay for art, and so finding a team where we could put that all together and you know have the music be an added value because you can still stream it, but set it up so that oh, if I buy this book, they have a method for me to listen to these particular tracks while I'm reading and heighten the experience. So Code Burst was our, our proof of concept of that in We've got like two or three more projects similar to that that we are currently working on in that format. So it's mm. going to be something that we're going to try to develop further. If it works, it works, and if it doesn't, then I have a couple of books, that, you know, books that I made on my nightstand where it's like, oh, cool, I made this, you know. <laughs> so.
0: I mean, and that makes a lot of sense. I can't remember the name of the genre where you're playing through a novel basically, but you know, my experience with those is. The music's obviously composed to whatever the feeling's supposed to be yeah. but it's very much secondary or third or fourth or fifth so I, yeah. I think having it where the music is roughly as important as the story itself how is the composition process with all the other um, third-party musicians or bands that you worked on for for people who haven't listened the soundtrack is kind of broken up into two halves with the first half being a lot of songs where you and ben collaborated with other musicians and then the second half being the kind of more pure score as we'd be more familiar with
1: so ben and i produced everything ourselves the musicians that we worked with were there there were five of them and four of them were singers and then one of them was a guitarist and uh for three of the singers, they were all able to record in home studios. Mm. And so they did that and then sent their stems to us. And then, you know, I just put it into the project and then produced it. Same with the guitarist. There was one singer who didn't have access to home studios, So it was like waiting for shelter in place restrictions to lift and then making sure that everybody was healthy and and then like actually scheduling time for her to come into the studio. And still, like, keep socially distant and, you know, wear masks when when she's not singing and stuff like that. So it, that part of it was, like, the last thing that we did for mm. the album, essentially. Because everything had been completed before. I think, I think we were pretty much all done by mid-March, and we released the album in June.
0: For them, was it just you and Ben saying, hey, here's the track, here's the vocal line we want you to do, and that's that? Or, I mean, was there, was it... Did it ever become more of a collaboration or, you know, co-composition process?
1: So for the singers, Jure, her name is Jordan Meyer. She was the one who had three songs on the soundtrack, and she was the one that came into the studio. We were able to work a little bit more with her as far as what we wanted on the day of. And then the other few singers, two of them basically, well, so the, one of the other singers, Savannah, we always give scratch tracks of the vocal line. And she just did a really good job with that in mm-hmm. her style. Uh, Jake or Ron House on the album, he had two songs and he did a good job of like singing the scratch track. But then he also added uh, backing vocals and stuff like that just on, you know, without being asked. So that was kind of his creativity coming through. And then Red or Nell June Anderson, Nellie June Anderson. She sang Medusa. She was the one that we gave most liberties to. We gave her the scratch track and everything, but she came back with a, with a track where she tried a few different styles and asked us what we liked better, and we were told her what we thought, and then she went away and just put everything together, and her voice really comes through in that song.
0: Nice. Was Codeburst planned to be in two parts or just like a multi-part story? I mean, we would
1: like to make it just last forever if we could. I think right now, I think we anticipate for sure one more part, if not two more, but we're we're just going into planning phase for volume 2. So yeah, it's going to have at least one more part.
0: All right, good. And did did you and Ben you did the actual like story crafting, writing, everything like that for the actual comic?
1: Yeah, 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 Ben and I wrote it, you know, and that's it's similar to our style of Creating music together too. Like I sat down last year and wrote thirty thousand words, and you know Ben looked at me and he's like, "This is crap. Start over." <laughs> <laughs> and so, like, I took little pieces of that and just kind of assembled a much smaller version so that you know people wouldn't get this like, paperback and try to accompany that with music. So essentially, I wrote out an entire outline for an entire story, and what we did is we took a, a section of that, and All that's right. what Coders Volume One is. But Ben's a lot more. He's, he's a lot better at creative writing. His writing style is, I prefer, over my own. And so when he finished his pass, I was like, oh yeah, this is this is what I had in my head, but <laughs> I couldn't put that on paper. So I think it becomes easier for him to do that kind of thing when I take the first pass at like mm. the really the, the really rough stuff. You know? So had you done
0: much creative writing before that?
1: Not anything that is like for public consumption. <laughs> ben and I used. Years ago, we actually wrote, and when we say we, it's the same thing. Like I wrote a whole bunch of stuff and uh, he's come back and refined a a little bit of it. But we actually wrote a steampunk novel. He came back and developed a couple of the chapters of that. And actually the prologue of that novel is one of the projects we're working on in the Codeburst digital uh, multimedia format
0: interesting
1: i've got to start listening to some steampunk like music uh,
0: what constitutes steampunk music is someone who really knows nothing about the genre
1: to be honest with you i don't know when i looked it up on spotify they gave me like playlist of folk music so i guess it's going to be whatever we want but i can i can imagine like folk music with a bent you know a bent towards uh, chamber orchestra That's kind of what I have in my head and maybe a lot of ticking clocks. Yeah, that's a good question. It's like, that's going to be a fun uh, adventure is figuring out the voice for a steampunk property, you know, especially one told from our perspective, not somebody else's. (laughs) Genre is so hard because you talk to people who are into synthwave and there are diehards or purists who say cyberpunk is not a genre of music. It's an aesthetic. Thinking about the relationship between that and, than trying to glean what cyber, you know, steampunk is. And like you said, industrial, where I can hear that, but my mind for industrial goes directly to like early Nine Inch Nails and stuff like that. And then I think, oh, that's diesel punk. The parsing of genres is something that's really hard. So I never think about things in terms of, oh, I need to stick within this. It's just like, okay, I like this as a base. What can I do to make it mine?
0: That's got to be really freeing. Is that hard for you to, to do, to just say, you know, genres get away from me?
1: I don't think it's hard, I I guess. yeah. You know, I guess I don't really, yeah, I never really think about it in those terms as far as like, I'm not gonna be pigeonholed or something like that. It's But but I know, like when I was writing stuff for Codeverse, I knew that I couldn't write stuff as cool as like Carpenter Brute or Perturbator, some of these really mm. big names in that genre. And it was like, well, I don't wanna write something that's exactly like that anyway. So what can I do to just really make it mine and and so I combine elements of like cinematic type sounds, you know, into a synth wavy type like bass that's on the eighth note. The first track on the on the soundtrack called by the sword I woke up one morning and I was just like, I couldn't get this progression out of my head. And I was like, what is that? What is that? And a couple hours later, I figured out, oh yeah, it's, it's Simmer from Batman Begins. It's like that, <laughs> da, da, it's at that third rise. And I was like, oh yeah, that has to go in there. There's like a melody. If it really captures my attention, I'll quick like open an app on my phone and record it. Um, but otherwise, like I try to, I try to hum it to myself and remember. And, you know, nine times out
0: of ten, it just, like, yeah. goes away. So. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure there's, like, there's some ether out there full of forgotten ideas. And yes. it, like, it's just brilliant and no one's ever going to hear it.
1: I, I'm going to rob that from you. I'm going to write that down because that's such a <laughs> cool concept. Like, you can write a whole story about that. Like.
0: All right, well, you know what? If, if, you, if you do, yeah. I better get some credit for it because we've, well, we've got it on video now. Well, why don't you just write it, and then I'll make the soundtrack for (laughs) it. There we go. All right. See, like you're talking about Twitter getting projects, bam. (laughs) So I mean, what's because a lot of the people that I talk to, they they do various projects, but like tend to have a focus on film music, on solo releases, on you know this or that. I mean, would you say that you have a focus, or is it just kind of whatever whatever you're interested in, like that's what you're doing today?
1: But yeah, that's a tough question to answer. Well, it's an easy question to answer because the simple answer is I just focus on what I want to. The more complicated portion of that question is I, I still want to do film music. So I do my best to, to network and market myself to those people. And I do have a couple projects for that, for film scoring, one of which I'm going to be starting at the end of this month. It's a, a little Asian fantasy horror flick being shot in Minnesota. So yeah, I get to get to read some Asian music, I guess. Interesting. <laughs> we'll see how that goes because uh, it's a Hmong director, hmm. which is, uh, I don't know where they, wh- you know, where they are based out of in the world, you know, in Asia, but uh, there's a large Hmong community in Minneapolis and, uh, and he's one of the bigger film guys in that community. So um, I got asked to participate on that project and uh, I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be fun to to kind of stretch my muscles and try to grab their cultures, instruments, and their kind of like music mentalities and put that into a, a horror score.
0: <laughs> you know, it's 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 one thing just to do a score for a genre, but then to add in those elements. And I think if you're if you're not kind of embracing that, it's it's a Maybe lazier is is like too harsh, but those are the things that you you kind of should be doing. Have you found any resources or films or music that is going to kind of act as an an inspiration or groundwork for the Hmong music?
1: The research side of it is something that everybody has their techniques and stuff. And my technique is I don't like to be influenced necessarily. Mm. I always have like an irrational fear that I'm just going to lift something almost verbatim, you know, unconsciously from other stuff that I've heard or listened to. And when I steal something musically, I prefer to be it on purpose (laughs) and for a reason. And so as far as this particular score goes, the only influences that I'm kind of opening my sphere to is what the director is, is offering up Mm. for what he wants to hear. And, you know, so far, what he's told me is he wants kind of a traditional uh, horror score, but there's a dramatic element. By dramatic, I mean like a love romance element in the film too. And, you know, he wants that to be underscored with piano and like an Asian wind instrument. That's kind of where I'm going to take my lead. I'm not going to try to emulate necessarily a style that exists, but I will try to make sure I adhere to like Tunings and um, scales and stuff like that within their traditional uh, model.
0: Interesting. That makes a lot of sense. You mentioned not wanting to lift things, but you know, we were we were talking about James Horner earlier, so you <laughs> yeah, know, yeah. every everyone does it, <laughs> right? Right. With that, like, and kind of with so much public discourse related to cultural appropriation things like that is that is that something that's kind of on your mind going mm-hmm. into this
1: yeah and i have i have never voiced this to the director or like the producers or anything but in my mind what i'm telling myself is they wouldn't have asked me to do this if they had wanted a Hmong composer or something like that I, right now i'm just going by the assumption that they've heard and like hired me based on my my library before.
0: So, oh, th- I mean that, that makes sense and that's gotta be a little comforting for you. A little bit, yes, because I I,
1: I do not want to take something on and just say, I, I can do this because I can do whatever I want. Like that's not it at all. I've recently released a couple Asian trap pieces that are, you know, very Asian influenced and very hip hop trap influenced. And that is not my style. Like I, I appreciate that music and stuff like that, but those were for a project where I'm working with the artist, and I was like, "What do you like? You know, what do you want me to create for you?" And and he's like, "Well, I like this, and I like this," and his art shows me this, and I'm just like, "Well, that this makes sense. Like, can I do this? You know, I don't know. We'll see." So.
0: <laughs> I think that's cool. Like you're taking on things that aren't necessarily like safely in the the Reed wheelhouse. It's, it's right. things that you think you can do, but it's yeah, you know, it's it's still kind of a new experience.
1: Yeah, I'm not trying to like co-opt anything. More than anything, it's just like hopefully it shows my appreciation of those styles and genres. You know.
0: Yeah, I mean, and it's it's such a it's such a tricky balance because at the same time, I am always of the opinion it's really kind of respectful of a culture to learn about their music, for instance, and mm-hmm. their you know scales and melodies and and try to you know incorporate that. I don't know. That's, that's what art is. Art's, art's sharing and learning from one another.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I mean, you know, I, I don't know, like, I'm a privileged white person, you know. I've got it made in, in the shade over here, and what can I do to help others? And if I were stuck to only white European music, that would be a sad day. And having access and the ability to listen to all these different cultures you know, music and and art. And uh, that's really, to me, I think why there's so much to love in, in the world, because it's not just one thing that sounds the same or looks the same across the board. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah. Well, like the beauty part is too, it's like we have access now to all of these things and, you know, we may not like it all, but if you don't like something, there's not a huge cost to, or a huge sunk cost to have found that. But, on the flip side, it's like when you find stuff, you can really get into it and then you can start supporting that artist or, you know, supporting that culture or community by paying for stuff, you know? Yeah. It's like above and beyond your subscription to Spotify or YouTube or whatever.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And that's that's why I'm, I'm so glad that there's the, the Bandcamp Fridays that have popped yeah. up. I'm such an egregious <laughs> offender of just listening to a zillion hours of stuff a year on Spotify and it's like, that's yeah. i am not paying in what i should be but part of me doesn't want to be paying to like some massive company that then streams it that then you know sprinkles it down to all these publishers and middlemen and then you know two drops get to the artist so it's really nice having more and more options to actually just pay people directly for what they're do for what they're making yeah. moving moving away from uh from those big heavy topics <laughs> yeah Sorry about that. <laughs> you know what? I I, I goaded you into it, so it's my fault, really. I know that you've done a lot of short films. Um, have yeah. you Have you done uh, feature length ones as well?
1: Yeah. The yes, uh, but it's been it's been a while. Feature the last feature length I did was a film called Limp Wings, and it was for a production team. that I've done quite a few short films with as well. Yeah, that's been that's been like nine years. So mostly short films in the interim, and then. My career hasn't been linear at all. I I stopped creating back in 2011, like after that feature film, because I had to get a day job and Mm. do the things that people do. And like even as a hobby, music wasn't a priority at that time. And then due to circumstances, you know, I was really able to just really get into it for the last year and a half as far as getting consistent output, you know, starting to build up the Rolodex again. And so now that's kind of ready to take on more stuff if that's the direction I choose to go, because the code burst model is something that appeals to me a lot more than getting a film score where I'm at the whim of the director and the producers. And Not that that would be a bad thing. I take that job in a heartbeat but if I were also looking at oh I or I could spend the next three months working on this multimedia project that right. is going to have this and that and yeah unless the film was going to pay for my house or something <laughs> it would be a hard uh, be a hard uh, thing to think about
0: look that makes total sense because one basically you have complete control and then the other yeah you've, you've got a team that you're you know you're creating for someone else so I yeah. I totally get that this is actually something that I've been I've been thinking about recently. Is just what's your approach when you get a short film to score?
1: Oh, I mean, it, it's the same. You know, I I start out with conversing with the director about what they are looking for, and, and just kind of go from there. You know, typically the spotting sessions are, are what happens, and where it's easy to kind of get a roadmap to what you want to mm. do. Sometimes they'll throw out stuff like, "Ooh, I'd like to hear a particular instrument." Or generally, it's more like I want to feel this um, in this spot. So then it's like, okay, then I need uh, instruments here, or maybe this is just a piano a little twinkle thing here, or this is like full on brass. This is the bad guy, or well, you know, whatever for that kind of stuff. But yeah, it, it's it's very collaborative. It's like a one side collaboration because the director gets what they want, and we provide that for them. But it's there's a lot of creative freedom within those confines.
0: Yeah, I mean, you still you still get to be you to an extent yeah yeah
1: they're not yeah. telling me what melody to write they're just like right. saying you know make me feel love here or something
0: <laughs> that seems like such just like a difficult abstract direction <laughs> just like happiness love sorrow obviously those are the things that music evokes but at the same time it seems like that's a that's a tough direction
1: yeah Well, it can be you know i i'm pretty fortunate that i haven't had a lot of writer's block in my career like I, Maybe it's because of the different projects that I work on where I can kind of move from one to the other and just kind of always stay inspired that way. But it seems to generally be okay for me. And I guess that, that helps a little bit when you're not just sitting there and wondering what that would sound
0: like. Do you find the the short film format constraining at all?
1: Only constraining in, like, on the development side. If I was to look at somebody like uh, John Williams, I mean, in, in, you know, Star Wars, and the development, thinking of that as a roadmap, that would be something that would be so cool to have the opportunity to do because especially when you think of the timeline that he did, you know, he started with films 4, 5, and 6 and then he went back to 1, 2, and 3 and it's really cool to hear like Anakin's theme in episode 1 and then like knowing that that's going to develop into like Imperial March <laughs> like the ability that he or the opportunity he got to develop especially that like that's extraordinary even a feature-length film where you might start with a simple theme and it it gets to develop over an hour and a half two hours or whatever that's probably the only thing missing from a short film is is that development because otherwise it's really just mood music you know you
0: know i was i was writing about a short film recently where it rather than having kind of the development of motifs they're developing one track by adding layers in as the as the track goes to kind of match what's going on and i thought i thought that was like that was an interesting take in lieu of the ability to use motifs and i was like you know with so many films short films that are six minutes or so (laughs) you can't do that so yeah that's that's really interesting because i was i was just you know wondering what the alternative is or how you get around that
1: a lot of it is Based on how long the film is, the short film that I'm going to be starting pretty soon, I think it's actually going to be a little bit longer, like maybe mm. a 20-minute runtime. Um, the romance develops over time into what happens at the end of the film. So I actually think I'll get to do a little bit of development in this one. And actually, you know, because it's a horror film, I get to develop to mangle a mangled theme versus like a full orchestral statement of that.
0: That's like a, a doubly cool experience, then.
1: Right, yeah.
0: The only short film I can think of off the top of my head that has a like a clear thematic progression is The Girl Who Got Starled or something like that. It's it's one of the entries in The Ballad of Buster Scruggs, the anthology uh, the Coen brothers did. I think it was a Carter Burwell score. That was a really cool one to, to listen to.
1: Yeah, yeah, I love Burwell stuff. <laughs>
0: How can you not, man? He's he's great. <laughs> That's one of the the things I find kind of frustrating of film music is everyone knows Zimmer and Williams, and you know now everyone knows uh, Ludwig Göransson and you know a couple other guys like Jochino, things like that. But then you you have people who are still just incredibly talented who have done all sorts of really good films and great scores. Yeah. You know, most people don't know them. Right. Right? You know they don't know the names, and I think it's it's so unfortunate because. It's such an integral part of the film.
1: You know, it's an interesting, it's like a whole, like this, what we're talking about right now could be a whole other series of, of <laughs> topics. But it's like, you know, I read a tweet a couple of weeks ago about how music for video games has really stepped up where film music has not, um, as far as like being able to, to be more developed, maybe orchestrally or even just compositionally where a lot of film music now seems to be just like pulses and you know, pads and, and very more simplistic in nature. And, you know, thinking about that too, where, you know, your your statement about there's the names that people know and then there's so many other people too that that are just doing really good work. And I guess as a composer, I would be in favor of having more people who could write good music as opposed to just a few big names. I guess, you know, if I were one of those names, I don't know if I'd care so much that people didn't really, like I wasn't a household name because I was still getting to do like the thing that I love. supposedly. Right.
0: <laughs> people aren't getting into film music to be like a household name.
1: Right. Right. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> I had a, I had a teacher in college, a professor who taught me a ton of stuff about film music. And uh, you know, one of his statements was uh, this is Steve Martin's thing, but he's like, if you want to be rich and famous, just try being rich first. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, it's funny because he just, you know, this professor would just talk about the grind, like making music for commercials and there's no glamor, but it's like, he was still well off. And, you know, I'm this, I think my ego would say that it needs love and I need to be a household name. But in reality is like doing what I'm doing now, not really being, anybody of, of note, I'm having so much fun and like creating content that I hope others like, but at the end of the day, I'm waking up and I'm getting to do something awesome. So
0: that seems like the most important part of it. As long as you're still where you can do it and enjoy it. That's what pretty much everyone's looking for in <laughs> yes. in, in something.
1: Do you feel like you love what you do? I know like this is a passion of yours to be like into film music and review it and and stuff like that like is that something that you see developing further or is it something that you keep where it is to just stay sane
0: honestly i have (laughs) the the easy answer is i have no idea so to step back i mean the way this started was you know i was just like randomly listening to like film scores popping up on spotify and youtube and I'd find myself listening to the same ones. So I just, I started, I made a, an Excel spreadsheet where I just kept track of what I was listening to. Yeah. And then I was like, well, it's, it's not enough to just like put the name in. You know, I'm going to give it like a, a very rudimentary rating system. And then I started writing, you know, little notes about it. And I was like, if I'm doing all this, I'm, I'll just go a step further and actually write a little more. You know, I started doing this back in like September of 2018. And then it was like mid 2019 that I started a website. I got in, onto Twitter this January, and then now I've moved into these, these interviews and YouTube, and it's a slow progression of expansion. So I don't, I don't really know where it's going to go, but the point you made of are you gonna keep it as a, a passion, like I think that's, that's the most important thing, because the second it's not a passion, like the second it becomes work, like I've already got a job, right, so right. I don't, I don't want to get to a point where I'm spending 15 hours a week on on this, where I'm just like I'm dreading everything that I'm doing. So yeah. at at the moment, it's probably going to plateau for a while. Right now, it's still it's still enough where I'm enjoying it, especially the learning aspect I like. And honestly, one of the things that that's a big plus is. Being able to talk about things that I like and to connect with people and have composers talk about their work and what they're doing and and kind of get themselves out out there like that's why like this new expansion doesn't seem so much like work. It's fun and it feels like I'm I'm doing something that isn't as selfish as you know everything else that I do. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's funny. So your film your film music appreciation. Do you have a ranking system or do you if I asked you what your top five were, could you give them to me, or is it more a general like you prefer this composer or this composer, or like, how do you? Think about
0: that? Yeah, it's 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 a balance. I mean, so it's it's the same thing with films. Like I could tell you my maybe like my two favorite films at this point, but anything beyond the top two, I'd be like, oh, I I don't know. I could I could tell you you know a hundred films that I really like, yeah, but I don't know how I'd rank them. And it's it's right. the same thing with. With film music, like, I, I could tell you that right now my my two favorite scores are probably Koya Naskazi by Philip Glass or Blade Runner by Vangelis. And especially right. if you get the, you know, the super bootleg edition, the Esper edition, because it has just so much stuff crammed in there. But, like, those are my top two. But then there are a zillion scores that I really like. And, you know, I, I try to listen to everything that comes out on a... weekly basis. And those I have, I have a really rough ranking system for it's a a one to three system. But beyond that, there, there isn't like any internal ranking. I've realized that my tastes tend to be quite a bit different than a lot of the other more well-known people who write about film music. And part of that I think is my background, both in what i listened to growing up and then like the music that I used to make, you know, I, I was in metal bands, like I used to make drone. So (laughs) the things that are like harsh and noisy or just a little strange and more experimental, like I'm just gonna be more drawn to that. Whereas someone who's been listening to orchestral film music for 30 years, won't be as interested in it.
1: Yeah. So I have two questions. The first relates back to your, the two favorite film scores. Have they been your favorites? for a long time, or just, like, do your top spots kind of fluctuate?
0: Blade Runner had been my favorite for a long time. and it was I mean, it was one of the first film scores that I ever had any sort of, like, physical or digital copy of, and I just listened to it so much. Part of the reason I like it is is also why I love the film so much. I mean, it, it creates this really immersive, believable atmosphere. Like, there's a, a scene where you know, Harrison Ford's character's walking down the street, like, passing these storefronts, and, like, every couple seconds, you're just hearing little bursts of music come out, and yeah. then he, he gets 20 feet further, and you're hearing different music. And it's like, yeah. that's what real life is like when you're walking in a city. Like, music's just blasting from yeah. every store, noise is blasting from it, and part of that, obviously, is the sound design, but that sort of immersion is so mind-blowing to me and something that I haven't really heard on that scale since. Okay. Um and then Koyaanisqatsi is a more recent one and that I think for me isn't so much on how it works like within the film. It's just mm-hmm. as a standalone piece of music. I can put that on repeat for like 4 hours straight and just mm-hmm. sit there just listen to it because it it I it's just so spellbinding to me. Uh
1: so what did you think about Zimmer and Wallfish's uh 2049 soundtrack?
0: I wasn't crazy about it when I first saw the film in theaters. Uh, I don't know if that was like two and a half, three years ago. I thought that it took a lot of the bombastic synthy elements from Vangelis' original score and just kind of mm-hmm. like built on those without the without all the other elements yeah. that kind of made his score so good. And I also thought that you know, listening to the score as a standalone. You have two st- Sinatra tracks and then one other licensed track that... They're in the middle of a film, and it works in the film. But I think it's really jarring when you're listening to it. I actually did a like best scores of twenty seventeen post two or three months ago, so mm-hmm. I, I re listened to that. And honestly, I think if you just if you just took out those three tracks and just like pretend that they're not in there, it's such a better score than I initially thought because I hadn't listened to it in like two years. And so I I really enjoyed it. I think I it's probably in my like top. 20 of that year which i don't know, like a top 20 doesn't sound great but it's like you know i listened to yeah, i listened to like 700 scores last year so if you're yeah. in top 20 like that's awesome Pretty good, yeah. yeah so yeah so i mean look i i liked it honestly i've i think like wallfish has been a little inconsistent in his work but his 2017 was outstanding he had that he had i say that and there's he has two other scores that are really good and mm-hmm. like they're uh not coming to mind, but like okay. he has like three great scores that year.
1: Crazy. Well, anything else like that you have questions about or
0: I could probably ask you questions for another hour or so. <laughs> um, yeah. I think I think we've already gone a little over an hour now. Uh, I I think this is a good point to wrap up. Awesome, man. First off, it was great to actually meet you in person. Well, close enough in person. Right. <laughs> um and, and thanks for coming on here, man. I really appreciate it.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me, and uh, I'm glad that we met on Twitter.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so am I.